Welcome, everyone. The Lord's house together tonight and to make this journey and to appreciate afresh the awesome cost of our salvation and the love behind it. Two texts for tonight's message. First, from Isaiah 53.10, and you may remain seated even though our custom is to stand. But it was the Lord who decided to crush him and make him suffer. The Lord made his life an offering for sin. He will complete the things the Lord wants him to do. Our second text is taken from Hebrews 12.2. Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When Winston Churchill was asked by King George VI to lead England against the Nazi enemies that were threatening Europe, Churchill confidently accepted the challenge. And he later wrote, I felt as as if I were walking with destiny and that all my past life had been but a preparation for this hour and for this trial. And hearing those words, it reminded me of someone else whose life, whose entire life was a preparation because there was a destiny and that was our Lord. Jesus, too, had a destiny to fulfill and every day of his adult life drew him unavoidably closer to the fulfillment of that mission. God's Word tells us, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Jesus summed up the purpose of His mission by saying, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And Matthew goes on to tell us in his gospel that from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. The death of Jesus on that cross was a necessary part In fact, it was the very core of God's predetermined plan. His death on the cross was no afterthought on God's part, plan B, so to speak, as some have argued that when things fell apart, well, then Jesus became a helpless victim of fate or a martyr to be pitied. No, the path that Jesus took to his crucifixion on Calvary began not in Pilate's court, but in the halls of heaven. Jesus began his journey when he left his home in heaven in search of us. Paul tells us God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so Luke tells us in his gospel, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. You may remember in older translations it said he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. The other translations say he steeled himself. He was determined with all his might to go 
to Jerusalem, knowing full well what he would meet when he went there. And so we read in Ephesians that even before God made the world, he loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This plan had been made long before the earth was even created, that Jesus would come, that he would live, that he would suffer, and that he would die to secure our salvation. He was born to die. The shadow of the cross followed him from birth until death. Well, every aspect of the crucifixion was intended not only to hurt the victim, but to shame him as well. The condemned person was marched through the city streets, shouldering the crossbar of the cross and wearing a sign that named his crime. And then at the execution site, he was stripped naked. Yes, the pictures make it look nice that he has some kind of a under, underwear on. That was not what happened. This was total humiliation. And then he wore a sign that named the crime and he was stripped naked, nailed to the cross. And in the case of Jesus, he was not only shamed before people, he was shamed before the audience in heaven as well. Though he'd never lied, he bore the disgrace of a liar. Since he bore the sin of the murderer and the adulterer, he felt the shame of the murderer and the adulterer. Though he had never cheated, he experienced the embarrassment of a cheater. And since he bore the sin of the world, he felt the collective shame of the entire world, something that we cannot begin to fathom. Jesus hung on the cross for six hours, each breath moving him closer to death. Betrayed and abandoned by his followers, falsely accused, publicly humiliated, beaten beyond recognition, thorns digging into his head, crucified as a common criminal. Jesus endured pain beyond our comprehension. And yet we know that he had accepted this path from before the creation of the earth. As we take time on this Good Friday to look at Jesus, hanging in agony and crying out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And then dying in shame. In the back of our mind, there is a question that lingers. And that question is a simple one. Why? That is the question. Why didn't Jesus resist that kiss from Judas? Why didn't he resist the scourging and the ripping apart of his flesh? Why didn't he resist the nails piercing his hands and feet? Why didn't he come down from the cross when the soldiers and the others mocked him? Matthew tells us those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. 
Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. But there's another why question here, one that Jesus asked. We don't find Jesus asking a lot of questions. Usually he speaks with certainty. But instead we hear him say, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And we're reminded that when his father hid his face from him, that was the most bitter ingredient of the cup that he was given to drink. Think about it. Before eternity passed, all the way up until this moment, there had been a communion between the three parts of the Trinity. And suddenly, it's broken. As the concentrated, undiluted wrath of God descends on him, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And God remains silent. And slowly Jesus dies in shame. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Notice that Jesus doesn't address him as Father. He addresses him as God. Don't we ask the same question? God, why abandon your son? Why Jesus? Abandon the murderers. Turn your back on the perverts and the human monsters who have caused so much pain and suffering in this world. But why forsake the only one who ever lived a sinless life? Let me suggest three answers to these why questions at the cross. First, these words of Jesus tell us something very important, and that is this. God hates sin. And we see here just how much he hates sin. And because God is holy and just, he must judge sin wherever it is found. And his son was carrying the weights of the sin of the world on himself. The second answer to the why question is that Jesus' abandonment by God was an integral part of his mission. He had said, for the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. What's a ransom? Usually when we hear that word, we think of someone being kidnapped, right? And the call comes in and people have to come up with the money to buy back their loved one. Jesus came to buy us back, to purchase us from the sentence of death 
that all of our sins have caused. The wages of sin is death. Peter tells us that it was a necessity in order to save us. He says that Jesus carried our sins in his body. He writes, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you are healed. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So because Jesus was bearing our sins, the holy God would not look upon him. He turned his face from him. He deserted him. The undiluted wrath of a sin-hating God was poured out on Jesus. Fulfilling the words of the prophet Isaiah, who wrote, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The third answer to the why question. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? So that you and I will never have to cry out those words. One of the most amazing consequences to come from Christ's abandoned on the cross is just that. God turned his back on his son that day so that you and I would never, never have to be forsaken by him. Jesus' suffering and death on that cross have underwritten a God-given security, and that is that the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and nothing can take that away. You may have heard in the news two weeks ago of the passing of Dick Hoyt at the age of 80. Dick's son, Rick, was a quadriplegic with cerebral palsy since birth. And at age 15, Rick asked his dad if they could enter a five-mile running race as a team. But the problem was only half the team could run. Rick's legs don't work. Well, Dick was not a runner, but he was a father. And so he loaded his son in a three-wheeled wheelchair, and off they went in 1977. One of the most amazing things that happened was that they enjoyed it. It does not look like a good time to me <laughs> for the dad. But Dick and his son Rick made up Team Hoyt, and together they crossed the finish line over 1,000 races including 70 marathons, several times the Boston Marathon, 206 triathlons. Here they are at their last marathon, the Boston Marathon, 37 years later. Dick was 73 years old. Rick was 52. That was in 2014. The dad looks tired. Wouldn't you be tired after 1,000 races, 70 marathons? Marathons, that's 26 miles. 
and 206 triathlons. I don't know how they did the swimming part. You know, you and I bring to the spiritual race what Rick Hoyt brings to the physical one. Our spiritual legs have no strength. Our morality has no muscle. Our good deeds cannot carry us across the finish line. We are weak. We are fragile. We take our eyes off of the goal. We so easily, easily are discouraged. And yes, our good deeds cannot carry us across the finish line, but the good news is that Christ can. And in the same way that Dick's love for his son prompted him to load him into the wheelchair and run the races for him, God loved you and me so much that he sent Jesus all the way from heaven to earth, the biggest commute in history, to do what we could never do for ourselves because we were dead in our sins. He lived a sinless life. He fulfilled all the requirements of God's holy law. And then he offered himself up as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He personally paid the price for all our sins. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus died on the cross in our place, God looked upon that sacrifice and it says he was satisfied. When Jesus said, it is finished, he used a phrase that was used in the business world to mean paid in full. The debt, your debt, my debt, was paid in full. Every sin we've ever committed, every sin we will ever commit in the future, paid in full. When it comes to our salvation, you and I bring what Rick brings, and God does what Dick did. He takes start to finish line responsibility for his children. No wonder Paul wrote, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. I love the translation of Romans 4, 5 by Eugene Peterson in his version, The Message. This is what he wrote. Trusting him to do it is what gets you set right with God. By God, sheer gift. Aren't those great words? Sheer gift. Christ didn't come for the righteous. No, he came for the sinner. And he offers a unique invitation to you and me. He works and we trust. He dies and we live. He invites and we believe. You know, when Dick and Rick Hoyt crossed the finish lines all those times, they both received medals for completing the race. The dad did the work, but the son shared in the victory. And in the same way, God takes start-to-finish line responsibility for us as his children. Jesus said, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Paul has given us a wonderful promise to think on this Good Friday. Remember, he has identified you as his own. 
guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. And so the cross of horror and abandonment becomes the cross of hope. The tortured body becomes the body that gives new life. The gaping wounds become the source of forgiveness, healing, reconciliation. And the abandonment by God becomes the promise that God will never leave you, never forsake you. Let's pray. Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, thank you that we will never have to face the horror of being abandoned by God our Father. Thank you, God, for receiving Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. We can add nothing but our worship in response. In your name we pray. Amen.